Well, thank you, Brother Bertie, very much indeed for your uh, welcome and your opening remarks this morning. It took me a bit by surprise there. I was waiting on another hymn, but uh, just give me a second, I'll get sorted out here. If you have your Bible, will you turn with me to the book of the Revelation, please? And this morning to the third chapter, Revelation and chapter number three. Sitting behind our brother Bertie here this morning and listening to him, making those announcements and talking the way he did, being in quite early uh, to get into the prayer time and all this morning, I was thinking to myself, if I'd been coming to the lifeboat this morning as a complete and a total stranger, I wondered what would have impressed me the most. And I'm going to be very honest about this. It would have been the praying that I have listened to in this place since I came in here today. It has been remarkable. The praying in the prayer meeting behind was very remarkable this morning. And then the way that our brother led the servants in his opening prayer today, was extremely impressive. People who pray together, stay together. Keep that up. It's a mighty work. There are not too many prayer warriors today. Someone said to me one time a while back that preaching men are tripping one another in Northern Ireland sometimes. There's a lot of truth in that. But prayer warriors don't seem to be so plentiful. Well, I believe God answers prayer. And I believe you're in biblical lines there because when the Apostle Paul talked about priority and prioritizing, if you like, the things of God and the work of God, he said, first of all, prayer. You couldn't beat it, I tell you. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. It's good to keep up the matter of prayer. May the Lord bless you for it. Now, I'm glad to be back this morning, friends, and thank you again, brother, for the invitation. I trust that as the meeting progresses today, we're going to share the Lord's blessing together. Now, I want to read a very familiar passage to you today, Revelation, the third chapter, Beginning our reading, please, at verse number 14. And uh, I want to read the Lord's message to the church at Laodicea. You know that in chapters 2 and 3 of the Revelation, you've got seven churches altogether. And uh, I believe they carry a double-barreled meaning. If you take time to look them into them in detail you'll find that they are a prophecy of the whole of the church age, the seven periods through which the church of Christ was to pass. And of course, if you look in even greater detail at the one we're going to read, I think you'll discover that we're in the Laodicean age today. It describes very, very adequately the day and the age in which you and I are living. So 
Being a prophecy, you could say they are prophetical. But written to individual churches, they are also very practical. And if you had lived in the days and in the spot where these churches existed at that time, yonder in Asia Minor, what was written would have been perfectly geared to meeting and to suiting your need. So it's the practical end that I want to look at in the meeting with you this morning from a verse from this letter. However, we'll take our time and we'll read it together. Verse 14 of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. If you get the Jehovah Witnesses coming knocking to your door, who deny totally the deity of Christ and seek to do it from the Bible, here's one of the verses they'll bring you to. They'll tell you the Lord Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, he's the first thing God ever made. They try to tell you that he was a created being. But if you take a good look at that word beginning, it's not a very good rendering of the original. The word ought to be the word beginner. Now, when you put that word in, it makes it very different. It makes the Lord Jesus not a created being at all, but it makes him the creator. And of course, that he is. He's the beginner of the creation of God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I thought I'd just point that out to you in passing. Now, the Lord says in verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. In other words, be one or the other. Make up your mind. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The idea is this, that your testimony sickens me. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Is this appropriate to the church today? Well, in many places I believe it is. But let's read on. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The age of materialism. The age in which you and I are living, no doubt. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love. I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. A grand gospel verse. Behold, I stand 
at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. While it's a good gospel verse, it was never written as such. It shows the Lord Jesus outside the church testimony and seeking to gain an entry. I stand at the door and knock. And of course, he's looking for individuals. If any man hear my voice, I hope that individual can be found in the meeting today. He goes, all to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. Now the letter began to the church in total, it ends again to the individual. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Run your eye up to verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. That's all I want to read today. The Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his inspired word. When the prophet Isaiah, in his prophecy, which came about many, many years ago now, was referring to our Lord Jesus Christ, he gave to the Savior a number of interesting and very exciting titles. He said he was wonderful, counselor. Some will tell us those things should be kept apart. Others will say that they all should be combined, just those two, that he is a wonderful counselor. Now, I can have it either way. He's wonderful, he's counselor, he's equally a wonderful counselor. But Isaiah goes on to tell us he's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father, and he is the Prince of Peace. But in his capacity as the wonderful counselor, he's talking here to the Laodicean church. Now, I mentioned to you that the Laodicean church describes the end times in which I have no doubt you and I are living. The very meaning of the word would tell you that. The word Laodicea, it means the rights of the people. And of course, have you ever seen a day that a word would better describe there are civil rights and civil wrongs and what have you creeping across the world today? It is a sign of the times in which we are living. But as the wonderful counselor, he speaks to the Laodiceans and to you and I in this meeting this morning. Do we need counseling? Well, I believe we do. Because if we didn't, this wouldn't be here. 
and he's counseling you and I in the meeting today concerning a number of vitally important things. The very first one that I want to identify within the text is what I want to call today payment. Because the Lord says, I counsel thee to buy, you see the word, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You might argue and say, is salvation not free? Of course it is. The gift of God is eternal life. And it comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe that in the service today I'm talking to someone and up to this moment you don't know the Savior. You're not saved. You don't know this experience in a personal way. Well, all that needed to be done for your salvation was done at Calvary. The price was paid in full. And you can receive it today as a gift. As many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Then why is he talking about, I counsel thee to buy of me? Well, this is not a reference to salvation at all, my friends, I don't believe. I believe it is a reference to consecrated service. Now, I'm fully persuaded of this, that consecrated service given to the Lord by his own believing people is something which at times could cost you dearly. But in this capacity today, I feel it is one thing. But what does he mean by gold tried in the fire? Well, we've got to come to an understanding of that statement to figure out what he's counseling us about. Gold tried in the fire. You know as well as I do this morning, of course, that in our Bible, gold is always the symbol of deity. It's, if you like, a descriptive term used very often to describe our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was of the full deity possessed, the one who is eternally divine. But when the wise men came, you remember, they brought three gifts. They brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The gold, of course, was the symbol of his absolute deity. The frankincense the symbol of his perfect human life here in this world. And the mare was a symbol of the once for all sacrifice that Christ would offer yonder at the place called Calvary. When he died, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. But let's again concentrate on the gold tried in the fire. 
What it's doing this morning, my friends, is bringing us right into the heart of Calvary. Right into the hours of darkness when only God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Lord the Spirit knows exactly what transpired. I involve the Trinity because the Bible tells me this, that he offered himself, there's the Son, by the eternal Spirit, there's the Lord the Spirit, without spot unto God, there's God the Father. And all three were clearly involved in your salvation and mine, making you and I today the most expensive purchase in the universe. Someone reminded us in the prayer meeting this morning, and rightly so, that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. However, let's come back to the hours of darkness again. I believe the hours of darkness, my friend, was a scene of fire, if you like, because when our Lord Jesus went there, and when he went into the hours of darkness, and when that amazing orphan cry was heard, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was there in that lone, mysterious hour that he faced the fire of the wrath and the judgment of God. Now, whatever uh, curse was mine he bore, the wormwood and the gall, there in that lone, mysterious hour, my cup, he drained it all. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against a man who is my fellow, none of the ransomed ever knew. How deep were the waters crossed, or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found the sheep that was lost. Concentrating on the fire for a moment, when you go to the tabernacle or the temple, the moment you ventured in through the door, the first thing that confronted you was the brazen altar. And when the burnt offering was brought to the brazen altar there in the temple or tabernacle it was totally consumed by the fire totally nothing was left the animal was burnt to ashes the hymn writer said I've been to the altar and witnessed the lamb burnt holy to ashes for me what a terrible sight that must have been to observe and to watch. However, it showed the seriousness of sin and it showed the greatness of the wrath and judgment of God and God's great hatred against it. But when we talk about gold tried in the fire, there's something different here that I want to point out to you, and it's this. That in the tabernacle and in the temple, the fire always consumed the sacrifice. Get that plain. Always the sacrifice was 
totally burnt to ashes, consumed utterly yonder upon the altar. But when we come to the altar of Calvary, where the Lord Jesus, in the hours of darkness, endured the fiery wrath and judgment of God, it was actually the sacrifice that consumed the fire. It was the other way round. The Lord Jesus, we remember, emerged from those hours of darkness and he cried with a loud voice, It is finished. Done away with. Put an end off. No more wrath. No more judgment. No more fire. No more hell. No more lake of fire for the true believer. All finished. Thank God for it. There at Calvary, the fire was consumed by the sacrifice. And the Lord Jesus lives on. He was the gold tried in the fire. And proved beyond a doubt that he was of the full deity possessed and eternally divine. Now, what's this payment about? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. It's talking, friends, about a very special relationship along with the Savior who died for you and rose again. Now, I want to ask you something. In the meeting this morning, and I'm challenging my own heart as I come to this, have I got a special intimate, close relationship with Christ? Or do I just need to go further? Is there a price I need to pay? Is there something more that I need to do? I believe there is. What is it that it will cost you for this intimate relationship with the Savior? There are many things I could mention, my friend, but there's one in particular. It will cost you your will. Your will. You remember, before the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary, this is what brought the will before my mind as I thought upon this. He was yonder in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane can I forget, or there thy conflict see, thine agony and blood like sweat and not remember thee. And my friend, he prayed the more earnestly, being in an agony, and the wording was something like this, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, for many believers today, it's the reversal. It's not thy will, but mine be done. That's not what's here in this verse. That's where so many of God's people go wrong. That's where so many of God's people are mistaken. That's why so many of God's people are not on fire for God the way they should be. It's the Lord's will that's neglected, and it's their will that sits upon the throne of their heart. I'm asking you as an individual today, have you enthroned Christ on the throne of your life? Have you said to him, not my will, but thine be done? Are you prepared to pay that price 
no matter what it may cost you, to go through with God your vows to pay, your all upon the altar lay, the Holy Ghost will do the rest and bring to you God's very best. It reminds me of an experience I had many, many years ago conducting a gospel mission way on the outskirts of Cookstown. And I came across a lady, a lady who was a believer, a born-again believer, and one day she stayed behind in the meeting to have a chat and a talk. And she said this to me. She said, you know, Brother Harvey, I am saved and have been saved as a young girl. But she said, in my early life as a Christian, I came into contact with this man. And she says, we eventually got married. And she said, I knew, I knew only too well that I was outside the will of God in what I was doing. But she said, I went ahead and I'd done it anyway. And then with tears, she looked at me and she said this, all my life, I have had his best. That's the man she married. And she said, all my life, I have God's second best. That's what she told me. Is that the case? Maybe with you? I don't know. Who am I talking to in this meeting to whom this may apply? Has your will been completely surrendered to Christ? Are you paying the price that will let you identify with the gold tried in the fire? That will make you rich toward God when it comes to standing before the judgment seat of Christ and facing the situation of reward? Or is it possible that self is riding today upon the throne of your heart and ambition is riding on the throne of your life as well. During a recent mission that I was conducting down in the area where I was born and brought up, I came across a man that I knew many, many years ago who was a dedicated follower of Christ. But he was involved in a certain form of business that I won't go into today. And he went further and further and he advanced more and more and so on. And he told me this. He says, you know, Harvey, it was the worst mistake I ever made and the most foolish thing I ever done. I said, Sam, why on earth are you saying that? He said, I'm telling you that because I've come to realize as life is drawing to a close that all I've been doing is holding this for the next guy. And I've spent my life in it. And I can't go back. And I can't change. Sometimes I like to address myself to young people. It's lovely to see young people in the service today. Maybe you're planning for the future. God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. Not a single thing. You ever thought of serving the Lord? You ever thought of giving your life over to the Savior? You ever thought of the lesson of God first? I think maybe you should. I know there's nothing wrong with the other side of the thing. Not a single thing wrong at all. Uh, education is a good thing. It's a burden easy carry. We need to get as much as ever we possibly can. But, but, don't let it put the work of God and the service of God into a very bad second place. Now, can you see what the Lord's saying here? He says, I'm counseling you. I'm talking to you. I want the very best for you in this world. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know the gold tried in the fire 
in a very special way. I want you to be rich in eternity. I want you to stand at the judgment seat of Christ with confidence. I want you to hear the well done of God, but there's a price to pay. You've got to enthrone the Lord as King and Lord of your life. Very often I hear us singing, He's my Lord, He's my Lord. And I just wonder how far beyond the area of our lips does that really go? He is risen from the dead. And he's my Lord. But I must leave that. He's advocating payment. Now, as you go on in the verse, he advocates raiment. Because as a nan comes in here, something on the top of this. Now, you cannot get the raiment until you sort out the payment, you see. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What on earth is he talking about? as far as the people of God are concerned. Well, when you come to the subject of white raiment and the believer, my friends, it always brings you to what I've referred to already, the judgment seat of Christ, before which every believer must stand. Now, when you stand there, friend, don't forget that you're standing there to be rewarded for the deeds done in the body. Now get this bit. Whether they be good or bad, there is that double-barreled possibility. Now, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and remember, it's Christ and you, and Christ and me alone. No one else there at all. Reflecting, reviewing, going into the details of your life, when every motive and every action will be tried and tested, and it's going to be tried and tested by fire. There's the gold, the silver, the precious stones. They will remain. There's the wood, the hay, and the stubble. They will be consumed and burnt up. What is my life consisting of today? Is it gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble? I ought to know. Time doesn't allow me this morning in the meeting to define the difference between the six of them and how I would know. But if you come to the scriptures and look at them, you will get the answers here in God's precious word. However, let me get this bit across to you. When you leave the judgment seat of Christ, you're moving to the marriage of the Lamb. And you're moving on to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb takes place in heaven. I believe the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place down here on earth. And it's the commencement of Christ's great millennial kingdom. Here on planet earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's the bit. White raiment... Listen to it, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. What you receive at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be your wedding garment at the marriage and marriage supper of the Lamb. Is it possible to be disappointed? Is it possible that this verse could become real? That it could be a shameful scene? 
My friends, there's degrees of punishment in hell. There's degrees of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. The point is this. You are weaving your wedding garment today, here and now, in this meeting. That's a challenge. How are you living your life? Is it lived with the judgment seat of Christ in view? Do you know that you're going to hear the well done Paul did? Paul made this plea and I have fought a good fight. I have kept finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day. And not to me only but unto all them that love his appearing. So there's a double-barrel possibility here when it comes to this raiment. It can be white or it can be shameful. It all depends on how you live your life in this world. A very good friend of mine, he became a very good preacher. Went to bed one night and he had a dream. Does God speak in dreams? Well, spoke to my father in a dream. What my father shared with me after his salvation was terrible. My father dreamt that the great day of his wrath has come. And he was up at five o'clock in the morning and he could not be peacified no matter what we tried to do with him until he found peace in Christ. And he described it to me and it was horrible what he actually saw. This friend of mine dreamt he'd gone to heaven. Now, if I had him today, he could verify this on this pulpit. And in his dream, you know the old story, he met Peter at the gate. Peter welcomed him in. And when he went in, he saw this lovely, lovely mansion. My, he said to Peter, is that mine? No, Peter said, that's not yours. They walked on down the golden street, and another one on the other side. Is that yours or mine, he said. And Peter said no, until they came to the very last one. When he got to the last one, well, he said, this is bound to be it. Peter said, no, that's not yours. Well, he said, you said in my father's house, or the Lord said in my father's house, are many mansions, how can this be? Come, he said, and I'll show you. They took him to a place behind the beautiful mansion, and there was an old tumble-down shack. Peter said to him, that's yours. But he said, that's not a mansion. Peter looked at him and he said this. He said, the day the Lord saved you, he gave you the building site. He said, we're building up here with the materials you send up. We're building up here with the materials you send up. I never seen such a revolution that came into a lad's life as that did in my time. I've never seen anything like it. It shook him and made him a mighty servant of Christ. It may just have been a dream. But there's a point there. What are we sending up? Is it going to be a scene of purity and whiteness when... We meet the Lord and the well done, or will it be rags and tatters and shame 
of that for eternity. Because there's no going back to change this. It's only here and now it can be done. My time's away. There's a final thing that I'll leave you to look at, friends. It says this, And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. I didn't know what on earth that eye salve was, and I checked it out. I found it was a kind of a anointment that was used in those days, believed to improve your eyesight. And whether it was a factual or not, I do not know. But the anointing with eye salve is a Holy Spirit anointing, friends, for where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I haven't got time to deal with that one this morning in the meeting, but you've got three things there. Three remarkable things. There's payment, and there's raiment, and there's ointment. Take the three of them home with you today. Have a good look at them. And I trust today that God will bless them to your heart, challenge your life, and you'll become much the better for having considered them. The Lord bless you and his word to every heart.